0: Hello everyone, I'm Paul Shari, Director of the Technology and National Security Program here at the Center for New American Security. And back today with another edition of the Tech Program podcast series. Here today for a very uh, special edition, we're going to hear from Elsa Kenia and John Costello about their new report, Quantum Hegemony, China's Ambitions and the Challenge to U.S. Innovation Leadership. Uh, This, you're going to hear from them, uh, first Elsa and then John. Uh, This will be, uh, you'll listen to the recording of an event that we held at the Center for New American Security on December 18th called China's Quantum Quest, China's Pursuit of Quantum Technologies. I'll give a brief bio on each of them uh, before I turn it over to Elsa. Elsa Kania is an adjunct fellow here with the Technology and National Security Program at CNAS. Um, she is a, a rock star member of our program, doing some incredible work on China's emerging technologies. Um, you, you may have seen, and if you're not, you should please check it out, um, her report from last year, uh, Battlefield Singularity on China's work on artificial intelligence. And she's partnered with John uh, this year on quantum hegemony um, with a full report, which you can find online at cnas.org quantum. John Costello is currently at the Department of Homeland Security, but uh, at the time of writing this report was co-founder and director emeritus for the China Cyber and Intelligence Studies Institute, as well as a cybersecurity fellow at um, our fellow think tank, New America. We are very grateful uh, for Elsa and John's incredible work on this report, Um, and I will turn it over to Elsa
1: now. All right, well thank you all so much for coming out this afternoon. I will uh, start by giving a quick overview of some of our research, and then John will speak to some of the uh, policy considerations in play, and then hopefully we can open it up for a more uh, open-ended conversation, because I know that there's a lot of expertise in these issues in the room, and I think part of the inherent uh, challenge and also what's fascinating about uh, This research is it brings together questions that are deeply technical, but also, uh, also but also issues that pertain to uh, China's approach to innovation, and uh, future uh, future challenges of competitiveness. So hopefully, we will manage to tie together a lot of these themes over the uh, course of the roundtable today. So to start, I'll be uh, quickly running through China's ambitions and advances so far, China's quantum quest, so to speak. And I think it's clear, uh, let's see, clear to start that I'm I'm not a quantum physicist. I do not claim that I understand deeply the science in question. I'm definitely uh, find it fascinating and also uh, quite quite challenging to make sense of as a research agenda. But those far smarter than I do also find also find that these that it is shocking and sometimes sounds magical when you start to talk about the technologies in play. When we think about the second quantum revolution so to speak uh, qu- everything from quantum cryptography which promises uh, at least in theory uncrackable communications to quantum computing which has the potential for uh, massive increases in computing capabilities and when we uh, and the initial assessments that we grounded our report in were looking at how how Chinese leaders are starting to prioritize quantum computing and communications as a national mega project, mobilizing to become a leader in innovation in these technologies. So far, and over the past couple of years, China has emerged as really at the forefront of advances in the employment of quantum cryptography and communications. In the race, or perhaps more accurately, marathon for quantum (coughs) computing, China is starting to catch up and quite actively investing in a range of different pathways. And somewhat more opaquely, when we think about quantum radar sensing, imaging, metrology, or navigation technologies with clear military ramifications, there's also quite active and active research and development underway. And in many respects, China's ambitions in quantum science technology are closely tied to its national objective of becoming a superpower in science and technology, which has been a personal emphasis of Xi Jinping. And when we, uh, China has demonstrated quite uh, considerable uh, and often headline Uh, headline-grabbing advances including the launch of the world's first quantum satellite and exciting developments in quantum computing. But part of the question our report does raise is the extent to which China can be considered a quantum powerhouse when you think about the uh, competitive global landscape and the tremendous challenges that remain. China's agenda in in, in innovation has been a clear priority under Xi Jinping's leadership where he's launched a national strategy for innovation-driven development. And I think if you look at the state of the technological landscape today, particularly across technologies such as artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and biotechnology, it's clear that China is aiming to take advantage of what it sees as a historic opportunity, not only to catch up, but also to potentially leapfrog ahead of the US and really seize upon the full potential of these advances. Again, at the personally at the level of Xi Jinping, there's been great emphasis on uh, the uh, qu- uh, advances in quantum uh, science as potentially leading to a new industrial revolution and prominent scientists such as Guo Wong who's with the key laboratory of quantum information, has hi- highlighted that if China is to emerge as a leader in the struggle for quantum supremacy, on the basis of advances in quantum computing, which could soon overtake classical computing, at least by some metrics. Then China needs to mobilize and organize more of a group army, so to speak, in in support of this research that's underway. And indeed, if you look at Chinese S&T plans over the past couple of years, it's clear that this uh, prioritization has been codified and really emphasized in China's S&T bureaucracy, including with the National Science and Technology Innovation Plan, which first marked quantum communications and computing as a mega-project prioritized for advances by 2030. Uh, recognizing the commercial potential of these technologies, China has also uh, focused on the development of an industrialization of quantum cryptography and creating an overall ecosystem and layout, ranging from quantum chips to algorithm software and some of the underlying materials in play. And unsurprisingly, there is a clear recognition of the dual use potential of these technologies, as highlighted in one of the many plans and initiatives aimed to advance military-civil fusion. And uh, and there's increasingly uh, strong synergies between uh, some of the uh, directly academic research underway with a focus on both military and commercial applications. So as many of you may be aware at this point, China Uh, made history in the summer of 2016 launching the world's first quantum satellite, which so far has been primarily significant in terms of the experimentation that it's enabled, including a space-to-ground quantum key distribution and quantum teleportation. This may be the first of many quantum satellites that China, as well as uh, countries around the world, will launch in the years to come, and their plans, according to the Chinese Academy of Sciences, to launch a number of micro and nano satellites in the next five years, expanding towards a constellation that is uh, integrated with an expanding quantum communications infrastructure that China is constructing at a national level, uh, leveraging uh, ground stations connected by fiber optic and the quantum satellite to uh, scale up and enhance connectivity. Uh, Since the initial Beijing Shanghai trunk opened last fall, there's been continued expansion of this network even as recently as last month with the opening of a new line that links Hefei and Wuhan which is connected to this initial network in conjunction with an expanding uh, number of local area networks and increasingly it's clear that uh, not only uh, not only the Chinese government and commercial enterprises but also the Chinese military are looking to link up to this dual-use uh, infrastructure in order to enhance information security, though of course the Actual level of security that this uh, new uh, new system guarantees remains to be seen. Here is an unofficial uh, estimate of the potential expansion of this infrastructure in the years to come, including its linkage to uh, military bases, uh, which are here in green, and banks, which are in blue. So clearly, across m- many of China's main economic centers and uh, major military installations there will be the capacity to tap into this national quantum backbone and and at the very least uh, it will p- give china a p- perhaps unparalleled experience in the actual practical challenges of engineering and operationalizing quantum communications via quantum key distribution at scale again the, and quantum computing there're quite a lot of recent developments and quite at an early stage and what in a competition that may play out over years if not decades to come but it is clear China's making progress among a number of pathways including the use of photonic qubits and superconducting qubits with uh, new advances in China, announced in China and around the world on a monthly if not weekly sometimes basis it's uh, quite a dynamic and exciting field and there've been recent uh, recent indications of progress, including China's establishment of a new world record for entanglement among 18 qubits, the uh, progress in a a new system for quantum uh, control that the University of Science and Technology of China has announced, advances in optical quantum chips as well. And although much of this is academic for the time being, there's also some progress towards commercialization with a 11 qubit quantum computing cloud platform offered by Alibaba. And of course goals uh, looking looking forward longer term of uh, advancing towards quantum supremacy around 2020 and eventually towards a prototype or fully functional quantum computer longer term. With uh, more direct relevance for military applications, there are some uh, potential advances in spooky capabilities so to speak with active research and development underway. Everything from reports of advances in quantum radar to quantum imaging for remote sensing, to quantum navigation, which could be used for guidance on future missiles or support of uh, submarines to, na- to, na- to enable independence from space-based uh, navigation systems, though this is more opaque. But it's clear that there is fairly robust research in- underway and some reports of prototypes. And turning to the overall ecosystem, it is uh, quite expansive and rapidly expanding with uh, Seemingly nearly unlimited funding in some cases, likely amounting to tens of billions of dollars between now and 2030 when you start to try to add up a national uh, national sources of funding to that devoted to, to a new national laboratory, as well as uh, private sector investments such as... Out- those of Alibaba and uh, the announcements of new new funds and government guidance uh, funding at the local level as well. There are quite uh, quite an array of partnerships that bring together academic and uh, defense research, including a new Beijing Academy of Quantum Information Sciences and uh, local provinces, including and cities, including <laughs> Anhui and Shandong, looking to create their own uh, own dynamic ecosystems and centers of excellence in quantum uh, science and industry. Of course, I think although although China's advances and ambitions in quantum science have uh, provoked a lot of concern, and not without reason, it's also important to keep in mind some of the real challenges that remain, including of course the cultivation of talent, which is involved both education and recruitment of uh, scientists from around the world. At the same time, uh, the party's preference for control and some of the adverse bureaucratic characteristics of the Chinese research ecosystem may not be conducive to uh, future innovation in this field. So there there may be uh, some lack of efficiency in the allocation of funding or some inflation of numbers and patents and publications given the sometimes financial incentives in play there. So there are are reasons to look critically at uh, and not not take it face value. The massive numbers in terms of funding and otherwise that are coming out of China, given that quality is harder to evaluate, and we did not we did not explicitly undertake a bibliometric analysis for this report, including because of that difficulty of making sense of which which lines of research are most uh, most innovative or truly uh, unique. But I think it, clearly numbers of publications and patents do indicate that there has been a massive scaling up of this research, and increasingly there also are cutting-edge advances underway, mm-hmm. though, of course, this will play out over years to come, and it remains to be seen whether support will be sustained for the long term. Of course, I think if we're looking to the future of quantum science and technology in the framework of U.S.-China competition, it's clear that there are some quite serious implications when we think about the potential of new paradigms for information and as well as cybersecurity and the potential, of course, for new risks if a quantum computer develops the potential to overcome most forms of cryptography in the years to come. In a military context, of course, of potentially new disruptive capabilities or in some cases incremental advances in things like timing, navigation, and situational awareness. And uh, commercially, China does seem poised to try to take advantage of a first mover, advantage in these industries going forward. So I think in conclusion the main takeaway of our report which hopefully has provided at least a first snapshot of the state of China China's quantum science and technology clearly Chinese leaders re- recognize its strategic significance and are looking to leverage these technologies for to enhance economic and military dimensions of national power and China is catching up and looking to surpass uh, US leadership in these technologies in ways that could have uh, major implications for the balance uh, in this relationship and could definitely pose a number of tricky uh, policy uh, questions as well, which I will now turn over to uh, John to uh, discuss before we launch into the broader conversation.
2: Uh, thanks, Elsa. Uh, d- uh, having worked with Elsa on a number of different projects over the last few years, I can tell you the difficulty which it is to act, uh, to uh, follow Elsa. Well. So she is a hard act to follow, but I will try my best. Um, Uh, As Paul mentioned, I currently am Director of Strategy, Policy, and Plans, and we did have a name change for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Having said that, this report did come out before I took my current position, and I have to uh, make sure everyone knows that my positions and what I talk about today represent my own personal positions, not those of CISA, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, or the federal government. So with that out of the way. Um, You know, uh, for our policy recommendations, we really focused on sort of of what we viewed as as three major uh, uh, objectives for quantum information science in the United States. Uh, Number one is defending against tech transfer. Um, If you look at uh, Chinese uh, research, R&D activities, and S&T investments, you do see that China directly benefits from uh, sending scholars overseas, from academic uh, collaboration and cooperation with foreign universities. Um, from academics that have gone overseas, studied at uh, universities, and then come back. Even the, the so-called father of quantum information science in China, Pan Jianwei, um, studied in Vienna in his early years, came back and basically started a series of laboratories and a series of programs from which China's quantum information science, particularly in quantum encryption, has grown uh, since the early 2000s. And I'm not saying there's anything untoward there, but it is a model for how China, you know, goes out and you know, and trains its people and, and brings it back, and actually funds R&D and investment. And we've seen that over and over and over again. Um, second is. Uh, spurring US competitiveness. I mean, one part of this is defense, making sure the tech transfer does not occur, but also making sure that the US government and uh, is working with private industry to identify key priority areas for R&D investment and in uh, quantum information science, both you know in sensing and computing and encryption and in material science as well. And finally, uh, reducing or mitigate the threat from a, a quantum surprise. Obviously, quantum sensing—you uh, know—through the sort of hazy and vague potential of quantum radar—you uh, know—is uh, a clear and present threat to U.S. stealth capabilities. And quantum encryption, I think, confounds um, some of our information collection capabilities. But really, the biggest threat, uh, at least on uh, from our perspective, is. Yeah, the idea that uh, that that China um, China will be the first to uh, attain quantum supremacy and will be able to uh, harness a quantum computer that can use Shor's algorithms to break uh, m- most modern standard forms of encryption. Encryption is a given in a lot of cybersecurity systems and a lot of uh, in, in information security. So the ability to break that, the ability to undermine that fundamental pillar of information security. Um, Creates a systemic risk uh, across um, all of our all our critical infrastructure and all our technological ecosystem. So with that, I'm going to go into the six sort of policy recommendations we we made. Now I will I will say this. I think these are a little bit different from traditional policy recommendations. In some of these, it's really looking at specific fields of study that that really specific fields, specific questions that really warrant further study. Um, number one is um, spurring China, uh, spurring excuse me, the United States competitiveness in, uh, in quantum information science. Uh, I think that sort of speaks for itself, but there has been some movement since the publishing of our report that is uh, that are, uh, positive steps forward in this regard. Um, one is the National Quantum Initiative Act uh, uh, passed and uh, is you know looking to appropriate 1.2 billion um, for quantum information science funding. The Air Force Research Laboratory has also uh, put 5 billion towards uh, studying quantum technologies. Uh, second is evaluating the risks of quantum computing critical infrastructure. Um, and that's both in the federal government side, and I think some that's sort of less talked about is, uh, is private industry as well. Um, when we're talking about Q-Day, which is a potential date, which is what we think is a very clever title or a very clever word for like the day that, that uh, a quantum computer is created. And an actual quantum computer that can break encryption is actually created. Um, there's a number of dates that are that are given for that. So some it's five years out, ten years out, twenty years out. Regardless of what the date is, what we really call for is uh, at the time is the federal government to study uh, if we assume that a quantum computer was created today, and we knew that uh, someone across the world ha- um, was able to. Uh, break on most modern forms of encryption, how long would it take um, the federal government to completely migrate its systems to a quantum-resistant form of encryption, to insulate themselves from potential impact and potential risks from a a quantum computer, um, and sort sort of tease that out? And what would it cost? And then you take that even further, and what would it cost the private sector as well? Um, the key critical industries that we, that we need to make sure that they're insulated and secure um, from intellectual property theft and cyber intrusion. So that, that, was, sort of our, that was our second one. The third is um, evaluate the impact and prepare for, um, for Quantum Surprise itself. So this is sort of largely looked around the idea of what we call wait and see, uh, wait and see collection. Uh, so the idea that, um, that uh, a foreign adversary could collect <laughs> encrypted communications or sensitive communications over time and store them for decades, and then you know, when a quantum computer is created in the future could crack that, uh, crack that encryption and get the plain text of that intelligence and have decades worth of intelligence to fall back on. Now granted, a lot of that would be outdated, but I'd be willing to bet that a, a number of that would, uh, would be um, pr- particularly actionable and, uh, and would be relevant to their national security interests and economic security interests. So what we sort of uh, called for is uh, the IC looking at the potential of effectively running a large counterintelligence operation and seeing if you could bake in bellwethers um, that if that encryption or sense of communications are cracked, that there would be some sort of externality that could be observed that would at least uh, provide a a red flag or a bellwether that someone had uh, achieved uh, a quantum surprise. The presumption of this is is that the first nation on Earth that achieved that capability uh, may not be particularly forthright in announcing that capability if they had the ability uh, to very quickly uh, break most modern uh, modern forms of encryption. so that is the presumption for that. I mean, it could be a faulty assumption, it, it may not, but it, it is something that I think is, is, that we both think is still worthy of study. Um, the fourth is engage in a more thorough study and evaluation of the military application of quantum technologies. Uh, I think there's been a number of reports over the last few years of the applications of quantum information science to military technologies, but uh, as China, I, I think the, what, the, the, on, what's on the back of this is as China continues to look at New and creative applications, including the use, uh, potential use of a, a, a quantum satellite for over-the-air uh, quantum encrypted communications, uh, really, you know, spurring the military to look for you know new and creative applications, even for advanced weapon systems um, that could be harnessed uh, through quantum information science. Um, like I said, the Air Force Research Laboratory uh, putting five billion dollars towards uh, studying uh, the application of quantum uh, technologies is a, is a good, noteworthy step in that regard. Um, five is uh, tasking the National Counterintelligence Executive to look at um, counterintelligence risks to uh, U.S.'s quantum information science efforts. I mean, I think again that speaks for itself. But you know, there's a number of ongoing academic and uh, and commercial partnerships and collaborations that that could consistently provide avenues for tech <coughs> transfer, intellectual property theft or you know, extra-legal techniques where someone comes and learns and then takes it back to China. I mean, that in and of itself is not necessarily a, a pressing threat, but when it's state-directed and when there's a larger plan, that over time affects a, a massive transfer of wealth of knowledge from one country to another, that does become, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts, that does become a, a, a competitive risk and over time a security risk to the United States. Sixth is restore science and technology capacity and expertise to U.S. Congress. Now probably should have worded this different, we're not saying that Congress does not have science and technology expertise. Having been a former staffer myself and knowing a number of staffers, uh, I can tell you that a lot of them are smart on this and a lot of them are are willing to work with industry, academia, to make sure that their their principals get the best information possible. But uh, from 1972 to 1995, there was uh, the Office of Technology Assessment that existed in US Congress, which was uh, exclusively charged with providing science and technology advice to U.S. members of Congress. It went away in the mid-90s, but a lot of what it did, it produced over 700 reports uh, during its lifetime, it, it acted as a bellwether, that's one, of my fa- that's one of my favorite words, so it may come up again. Uh, it acted as a bellwether for looking at new and emerging technologies, uh, what are their impacts commercially and security-wise, and what are the policy options um, and legislative options that Congress could pursue? Uh, to answer any given uh, policy issue, um, it it was a it, it was a congressional think tank, in other words. So part of this is you know recognizing that the United States you know needs a more comprehensive approach that can't just be on the federal government, and by that I mean the executive government, but needs to also come from Congress to to take a a comprehensive approach across all of these issue areas. And consistently have a canary in the coal mine, looking at emerging technologies, the risks to that, and how they can be harnessed for national security purposes and economic competitiveness. So we really uh, promote that, and um, we think that is a, is a cornerstone thing to you know to achieving those three ob- objectives: defending uh, tech transfer, spurring U.S. competitiveness, and reducing the, uh, or mitigating the threat from quantum surprise. Uh, that really rounds out our uh, policy recommendations and, in general, the threats that we're looking to counter or the opportunities we're looking to pursue. I look forward to answering any of your questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us for this um, edition of our CNAS Tech Podcast Series. Um, as a reminder, you can find the full report from Elsa and John online at cnas.org quantum. That's quantum hegemony. China's ambitions and the challenge to US innovation leadership at cnas.org/quantum. Thanks so much.